Good morning. I'm Lauren Anders Brown, an independent documentary filmmaker. Being behind the camera in over 40 countries has resulted in hours, days, terabytes of footage. So much of what happens to make a shoot possible ends up on the metaphorical cutting room floor. Most of my editing used to take place in planes, trains, or whatever available coffee shop had a decent filter single origin coffee and always using the hashtag today's office. Now, I'm picking up the scraps, reviewing old interviews, and scrolling through my social media to give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it is like to travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. This week's episode doesn't come from behind the scenes of an official shoot, but an equally strenuous experience and one with an important global health story I wanted to share from the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, where I was almost exactly two years ago to the date. After a rushed morning leaving our lovely lodgings in Arusha, we made two very necessary stops before our scheduled climb of Kilimanjaro. The first was for coffee at the gas station or petrol station on the way to Moshi. All coffee is good in Arusha and Moshi, and I mean, I would go as far as to say all of Tanzania, including the best coffee I got on that trip, which was from that gas station. The second stop was at the hospital. No, not for any personal medical concerns, but because we chose to use our climb of Kili to raise funds for the surgical department at the local hospital, Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center, or KCMC. Ed is a surgeon, and he had been working in Africa previously, just like I had, although not as a surgeon, as a filmmaker. And we were both a bit surprised and impressed with the simple but straightforward setup of KCMC. We walked away remarking how it was worth visiting beforehand, and one of the better hospitals either of us had visited during our time in Africa. Fueled by coffee and the commitment to climb Kili, we made our way to the gate, where we were told we just needed to wait a little for our permits to begin the seven-day climb. So we waited. I taught myself to knit. Ed carried on with his endless amounts of work on his laptop. I cringed that he couldn't disconnect even for the week from his laptop. But rest assured, he'd feel the weight of his decisions over the next seven days carrying it in his backpack. While I was attempting to knit the scarf, was I doing a knit or a pearl? My eyes seemed to be crossed, um, and I pulled it completely apart because I figured I had so much time, why not start again? At that moment, Ed's laptop battery died. He looked up, asked how my knitting was going. It wasn't really going, just like we weren't really going anywhere either. I was knitting the scarf I wanted to wear upon Summit, and I had no plan B if I didn't. Speaking of plan Bs, he blurted out, we should probably promise each other now if one of us can't summit, the other one has to finish. My eyes were transfixed on the yarn. I didn't want to mess up another knit or pearl, but I thought he was talking about me finishing my scarf and then took my eyes off and looked at him and realized he meant the mountain. In all my preparations for this trip, I hadn't prepared for that. Of course, I agreed with him, never really thinking we'd have to rely on it. I looked down at my needles and realized I had lost my pattern once again. And started again. 
just as we were finally allowed to begin our climb. We had chosen the Lamosho Trail for its quiet, less busy reputation, and because it offered us the opportunity to climb through the canopy at the beginning. We had an entire team of 14 people to help just the two of us. Initially, it felt like overkill, until we realized just how affected we would be by the altitude, which was apparent from the heavy breathing I could hear myself in the videos I took just as we got above treeline. The temperature variations were pretty extreme. I regret not having warmer clothes with me, or at least more layers, when every morning, one of the members of our crew, Harun, would wake us up with a gentle, good morning. Regardless of how soft and lovely it sounded, I was so cold, I just wanted to stay inside my sleeping bag. It's quite a solid climb. Yeah. My ears are popping as well. Your ears? Yeah, I think from the altitude. My nose is running a bit as well, by the way. Kilimanjaro is the highest mountain in Africa at 5,895 meters. It's climbed by 35,000 people per year and about 60 to 70% of those summit. Those who don't make it usually suffer from altitude sickness, shortness of breath, fatigue, hunger, etc. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> End of day two here. Uh, it's been, today has been tougher. Well, I found it tougher. I think Lauren's doing pretty fine. Uh, we. I can't say I found day one easy, I'm not going to lie. No. We arrived, uh, we set off yesterday quite late, and um, part of the time was spent walking through the forest with our very good guide, but in the, in the pitch black darkness. Um, but it was a really clear path to walk along, but we had to go at quite a pace to get to the first camp. Uh, so although it wasn't too taxing um, exercise, just the pace we were going at was quite wearing, so we were really grateful to see the camp last night. We were huffing and puffing the whole way. He's making it sound like it was <laughs> filling out a patient's, you know, file that it was strenuous and difficult. But yeah, and it was also just hard to get into the mood having waited and sat around for all day. But um, we got there and we're in a group of 12 people taking care of us, which is kind of impressive, mm -hmm. um, who made us dinner and just let us go to bed and woke us up in the morning and made us breakfast and, um, you know, we're they passed us all along the trail at some point they made it here way before us they overtake us come and set up camp and start cooking lunch before we get here um, so this morning was long we got up we got up early uh, they woke us at 6am uh, 6am yeah so we had some time to get uh, packed and washed and then had a great cooked breakfast this morning which was really good and then set off on a very long uh, five hours um, coming up the ridge uh, and then crossing over towards the plateau and we've just got the most amazing view now of the mountain behind us. As you can us. see behind us it's the first time we've seen the mountain since we started this whole journey um, which is kind of reassuring considering we hadn't seen one since we got to this camp um, and had no idea what we were actually climbing but um, yeah kind of got here and flopped um, missed the better part of the sunshine but it was worth it to just rest and relax um, now we're gonna have dinner and looking forward to what 
day three brings, which will be after we finish day three, then we're almost halfway yeah. there. The sun's just setting here now and the temperature's dropping, so also looking forward to curling up into the sleeping bag and keeping warm as soon as we've had dinner. With lots and lots and lots of layers. You wouldn't know it was August right now. <laughs> but it isn't. We're at 3,700 metres. It's, it's not August up here. We were taking some recommended medication to combat the altitude sickness, but even on day three, I could feel my unsteadiness begin to creep into my eyes while I had to focus on every single step I was taking. Our guide was experienced and recommended we increase our doses, which worked really well for me, although it didn't seem to have the same effect on Ed. At the end of day four, though, we went past the crater where one of the world's highest altitude football games was played by FIFA. I was hopeful there would be a remaining ball somewhere so I could have a kickabout as well, but sadly I couldn't find one. We passed the pitch and did a preparatory ascent higher than the altitude we'd be sleeping at to try and make it more comfortable for us at night. I brought my knitting stuff with me, which was good, because for the amount of time it took Ed to catch up to me, I had finished half my scarf. He struggled. He attributed it to his lack of preparation for the trip. After all, he was about to turn 40. Day five was tough for him to eat. But we were fairly close to our summit day, and the next day would be ver a very short day to prepare for that. We were nearly there, and it was also his birthday. And amongst our team of 14 people, we had a chef, not just a cook, but a chef, because he made some of the most amazing meals of the, at the highest altitudes, one of which included a birthday cake. And aided by his 13 team members, the chef and all of them danced and sang around Ed, both in English and Swahili giving him a 40th birthday he'd never forget. Oh, happy so birthday much. to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Eddie. Happy birthday to you. Kazali wa kaka. Kazali wa kaka. Kazali wa Thank you so much. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Wow, it's amazing. Day six was short. We were due to rest as much as possible, but the altitude made that impossible to get comfortable. That trail behind us is the one that's gonna bring us up to Kilimanjaro. Uh, and as soon as Ed catches his breath, he's gonna tell you how he's feeling for tomorrow. Feeling like we can probably do it. There's a probably in there. Today's been a tough day, <laughs> but looking forward to trying. And I hope Lauren's gonna spin the camera around and just show you the view that we're looking at now. And it's absolutely magical. It's just unbelievable. I had a looming deadline of completing my scarf that was still unfinished as the cold night was setting in. I stayed up longer than I should have. Ed couldn't sleep anyway. So I was knitting away until I had finally finished. Haroon gave us his usual, good morning. Even though it was actually midnight, 
and we set off climbing as high as the stars that surrounded us. We had two guides in our team of 14, and one apprentice who volunteered to join us as a human crutch should we need it on our way down. My spirits were pretty low, as were Ed's, so one of our team leaders, Ibrahim, began jumping and singing around us to lift them. Did a good job, although I envied his lungs, that he could sing, dance, and climb around us in circles. Eventually, he couldn't sing for both Ed and I because I was so much further ahead. So he danced in a circle, waiting for Ed, and would continue on. At one point, I asked how many people were able to sleep so high up when I mistook some of the white patches of snow for tents. I was starting to see things. Ed was seeing animals in the rocks, and we were a couple hours behind when the sun began to rise. We stopped. Our lead guide, Joshua, asked Ed to use his pulse oximeter for his saturation levels. His pulse was racing high, and his saturation level was dangerously low. Being a doctor, he knew those numbers meant the diagnosis was deadly and the only cure was to go down. We were only 500 meters from the summit. Ibrahim was already halfway down the huge visible switchback we'd been climbing with Ed before he and Joshua noticed I hadn't moved from the spot where we watched sunrise. I was crying. Ed was visibly unwell, and I was powerless to do anything to help him. The only thing that was in my power was to live up to the promise I made him amongst those nits and pearls on day one, and it meant doing it alone, without him. And that's why I was crying. Joshua approached me and could see I wasn't ready to go down. And I used all the breath I could gather between tears to say, He made me promise if one of us couldn't make it, the other one had to finish. Okay, maybe I wasn't that dramatic, but something like that. Joshua was surprised. In his decades as a guide, he'd seen couples painfully have to give up towards the top. He said usually it's the woman who doesn't summit and the man accompanies her back down. He never had a woman summit for both in a couple, until that day. He asked me if I wanted to summit for both of us, and I nodded my head yes. He ran down to confirm with Ed he was all right to continue with Ibrahim, and waved to me as I dried my tears and carried on to the top. I made it past Jillian's point, across the snow to Stella's point, and then finally to Uruhu, the highest point where I had the summit all to myself for a luxurious 30 minutes before I would have to turn right back around and begin the trip back down. I was alone, but I didn't feel alone. I wished Ed was with me, but I also knew he was safer down below than with me at the summit at that moment, and he really was kind of with me. Six days were quickly undone as I began my descent. The best way I could describe it. Imagine snowboarding without a board, but with the same movements and muscles, and without snow, but with gravel. Have as much fun imagining that as I did experiencing it. I eventually got down to the base camp for the night for a very late lunch that was bordering on an early dinner. But Ed was not there as we had planned. By the time he had made it to the base camp, Ibrahim was recognizing the symptoms of HAPE, high-altitude pulmonia edema. It causes your lungs to fill with fluid, making it difficult 
or worse, even impossible to breathe, and it affects the heart. 1% of the world have it, although most likely we'll never know if they never go above 3,000 meters unpressurized. It can kill people without medical attention. And so, our team of 14 became a team of 12 when two of them each took Ed's under his arms and ran down the mountain bracing him until they reached the very same hospital we visited before we began our climb. As a team, Ed and I chose to climb Killy and together we summited it, even if I was the only one to stand at Uruhu. It was the team of 14 people we were with who got me there and Ed down to the hospital and the teams of medics working at the hospital that were able to receive and treat Ed for his hape. While it's great to know I can travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. It only makes me have more gratitude when I don't have to do it alone, and I have a team I can rely on for support, sometimes for safety, and when it's a success, then it's all the more fun to celebrate with them in a team. If you'd like to learn more about the team that got me to the top and Ed to the bottom of Kilimanjaro, visit Climb, Mount, M-O-U-N-T, Kilimanjaro.com. And to learn more about the charity who made the pulse oximeter that told Ed he had to go down, and the one we raised funds for, visit lifebox.org. Thanks for joining me on this more personal rather than professional journey today. And that's it. Back next week with more from my correspondent. Do join me. <laughs>